Why do salmon swim upstream despite the threat of the bear? Because laying down the foundation for the next generation is worth the risk. This is the Upstream Podcast hosted by me, Salmon Like the Fish, where guests share their pearls of wisdom that could have only been realized through the journey against the current of life. Your presence here and now is no mistake. Keep your ears and your heart open. There is something for you to gain. All right, thank you for joining me for another podcast episode of The Upstream with Salmon Like the Fish. I have my best buddy, Eric Nowoslowski, with me here today to talk about, uh, what's the topic for today, Eric? Life is a contact sport. Life is a contact sport. I'm super intrigued about what Eric has to bring to the table because, uh, you know, the truth is every time Eric and I get into a prolonged conversation, which is typically at minimum an hour and 45 minutes, I always learn something new within our conversation. Um, you can feel the, the depth of the relationship, you know, um, uh, extend and, uh, you know, we, we, we walk away just feeling good and, and just ready to tackle, you know, the next day, which is super, uh, it is rare to find in, in a good friendship. So I'm glad that Eric is here today to share. So Eric, uh, why don't you introduce yourself a little bit so we can kind of get to know you? Yeah, sure. So, uh, of course I'm Eric Nowoslowski. I am the director of special projects at the Gateway Regional Chamber of Commerce. Most people who are listening to this will probably know me as a CrossFit coach at Reinvented CrossFit. And, uh, you know, amongst other things, I also like to do triathlons. And then my girlfriend gets me out hiking all the time and things like that, too. So, you know, a wide variety of things. Triathlon, right. That's uh, I think that was how we first connected, right? It was through triathlon. It was. We were sitting on on the floor. What at the time was CrossFit GSP. Mm. And... uh, (laughs) We were talking about triathlons, and you said you were on a Wheaties box. And I was like, oh, wow, I want to be on a Wheaties box. Oh, man, it was super cool. No, no, I was not. That was Photoshop. That was completely Photoshop. That wasn't real. But I was an ambassador for Wheaties. The 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 uh, the Wheaties, photo, uh, me being on a Wheaties box, my buddy did as like a joke, like for fun, because he knew I was an ambassador. But I got a ton of Wheaties boxes, so maybe there was a little bit of a misunderstanding. But no, I was never on a Wheaties box. I wish I was. But uh, I was an ambassador okay, for a little so bit. Okay, so this entire time, <laughs> every time I get on a bike, I'm thinking I need to speed up because Sal was on a Wheaties box, and I want General Mills to pick me up like that. And now I'm just learning in this chair right now that you are not actually on the Wheaties box. So you set up your whole life goals? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, well, you know what? Great way to start the episode. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> Good. Yeah, um, so let's let's get into it. Like, um, yeah. So you said life is a contact sport. So immediately, the first thing that pops into my mind is like football and getting hit, right? So, um, where are we gonna go with this today? Yeah. So when when you were asking me about what kind of um, topics we wanted to talk about, I was thinking, you know, what idea has changed my life more than any other idea? And I think it would have to be the idea of it's not what you know, it's who you know. And so that was an idea I resisted for a really, really, really long time. Because I, I always thought that if I just outread everybody, if I outworked everybody, I would always come out on top. And, you know, within the first years of me leaving the house and, and going out on my own, I realized that it's it's tough on your own. You know, Absolutely. It, to be isolated yeah. is, is really rough. So I, I just want to start this conversation off with uh, a little bit of how I failed my first semester in college. And when I say I failed it, um, I didn't fail it grade wise. My grades were actually pretty good, but I went to this school in Boston and I wanted to be in Boston so bad. What school was that? Cause I mean, it was, yeah, it was a manual college in Boston. I'd never knew you went there. Yeah. And it was this really small school in Boston. I was lucky enough to get a full ride there and I, was that a sports uh, scholarship or no, it was an academic scholarship. What? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Flex. All right. I didn't know. Yeah. Wow. So then, so I go all the way up there. I love Boston more than anything. I wanted to be there. And so when I kept meeting people, 
everybody wanted to drink. And so for people who don't know this about me, I've never had alcohol in my life. And so everybody wanted to go out and drink and they never wanted to do anything that didn't really have alcohol. And I could find a few people like that, but also they would, would still some days leave me to, to go party and things like that. And so I said, all right, you know what? Like I'm in college, I'm here to learn. I'm just going to do that. So I, I was like the first time in my life I never procrastinated. Like the day that I was assigned something, I would do it. And I became so disciplined and people would even tell me back then, it's not what you know, it's who you know. And I would always just say, no, it, it can't be right. That, that can't possibly be true. Bill Gates is the man that he is because of what he knows. He's a genius. So I'd listen to all these podcasts. I get into books and I just wanted to make sure that I was the most well-learned person there. Now, the way that I failed is because I woke up in the middle of the semester one day and it hit me that I thought that high school was more fun than college. Mm. And so don't get me wrong. I had a great group of friends in high school. Every Friday night we'd get together and play like these card games and everything. And it was it was a lot of fun. Like and we recently just reconnected, which that's been a lot of fun as well. So it's nothing it's nothing wrong with with the friends or anything. But looking back, if you're in college and you're thinking that high school was more fun than college, you're not doing college right you yeah, know right. and and uh, me having this feeling i was in boston my favorite city in the world to this day is still my favorite city i went there uh two weeks ago and it was um, amazing and so i was just thinking to myself yeah I've, I've failed here this this is not right i i need to get out of here so i was looking at other places to go it turned out that i just went home um and moved in back with my parents and then i went to bergen community college then at bergen community college at the actual school i only made one friend Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're still friends to this day, but he lives in Texas now. And so then I was still for a whole semester just really, really sad. I could not get out of this rut. And so I was I was going hiking. I was trying to go back into nature and, you know, do things like that. I was going to church with my mother and just things. I was just still so sad about everything and just had this poor outlook on life. And that high school was still so much fun. And I, I just didn't wasn't wasn't having any fun. So then that. August, I decided to do a triathlon. The reason I did a triathlon is because I biked from Boston back to New York City in three days. So then wow. I was, so then I said, okay, I I ran in high school. I was a cross country. That athlete. was like your exodus from, yeah, from Boston. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, wow. So then I said, you know what? I might as well learn to swim. And what I'll, compelled you to do that? So I just thought it would be a cool idea. <laughs> um, so when I went on a tour in Boston, the college tour guide said, hey, you know, um. Uh, people bring their bikes up here and it's a really big biking city if you have a bike you should bring it and so i said oh my gosh that'd be great and so that was actually that was actually my getaway from not having friends is i would just take my bike get lost in boston and then find my way back um and it was so funny even when we were there two weeks ago people were saying you know where's where's beacon hill and i said it's four blocks that way (laughs) i know you know and i still remember it because i just spent so much time on my bike so i even told my girlfriend at the time i'm gonna bike home from boston when when the spring semester is over and she said you're crazy you're not going to do it blah blah blah. so then i randomly got a week off from coaching gymnastics that was the job i got while i was in community college and i just decided hey let's bike from boston back to new york city so my mom went up we took a lot of stuff and then um i went and i rode back and i took three days and i stopped at a hotel for for two of the nights so then anyway, I got into triathlons. And so I lost 35 pounds from doing a triathlon. So wow. then I was looking for something else. And so I found CrossFit. The way I found CrossFit was um, I think I was in a Buffalo Wild Wings. <laughs> and the 2014 games were playing. And Dave Castro 
said to the whole crowd, I didn't know what was going on, and I didn't even know that was Dave Castro. And he said, uh, the last event is a secret. I was like, oh, a secret. <laughs> and then he said, all right, we're going to announce it. It's Grace. And then the crowd goes crazy. And I was like, what's Grace? Right. And then he was like, but this is the CrossFit Games. I was like, what's the CrossFit Games? <laughs> and then he's like, so we're doing double Grace. And I just said, what's double Grace? <laughs> you know, and it was just all this like this rising. And then I saw Rich Froning just absolutely murder it. And all these guys who are super buff and everything. And I said, yep, CrossFit. I'm going to go do that. Done. So going through college now I've gone a year without making any new friends basically and I joined a CrossFit gym and my life just changed basically immediately I made all these awesome friends who shared like-minded interests with me that's how we met I met some of my lifelong friends that I'm still close with to this day because of that first year of CrossFit that was and a very special gym though that was it was yeah. a very special gym remember there was there was one day it was like the middle of the day and I happened to just like not like I left work at like one o'clock and then we ended up doing a workout in the afternoon and I was like, Eric, listen, snapshot this. Remember this. Yes. These things are super rare. Like this good time like this, dude. Yeah. Because yeah. The, the vibe in that gym for people who don't know was like, no matter what level you were at, everyone wanted to get better. And there was people constantly in the gym, 18 hours a day yeah. who were always working out and willing to do a workout with you. And it was just like I've never had an experience like that. I would say it maybe lasted for two or three years. It, it I've never had an experience in a gym like that before that you could just walk in any time and there's just somebody always there to, to be able to throw down with you. Yeah. Um, and you're right. We we did snapshot that. And it was it, even on the tail end of it. We you'd even started to, to break up a little bit um, for multiple reasons. And I, I would not even say it's because of of anybody's individual choice. But as a collective, we all said you know what, maybe we're not going to the CrossFit Games. <laughs> you know, so everybody everybody kind of took a step back and and focused on other things. But for that time being, man, it was it was just so much fun. Yeah. So then I, I'm starting to make more contacts and I'm thinking to myself, you know, I need to go get an internship. I can't be coaching gymnastics for the rest of my life. Or maybe I can. I was trying to figure out what I was going to be doing. And so somebody at the gym, I'll even shout him out. It was, it was Dennis Gerber. He saw this potential in me. Uh, to pick up things very quickly and so he offered me my my very first internship which was an amazing experience to start a company he started it initially but then I was there for like the growth and and all of those things for all the ups and downs and everything and he got it acquired within a year and a half of starting it or, or whatever timeline it was it was it was amazingly fast and it was just an amazing opportunity to be a part of and he was he was the first initial spark for me, questioning, um, it's not what you know, it's who you know. Because this whole time, remember, I've been denying that that's true. It's It's got to be, you've got to be super smart. There's no way that it, it's not true this way. So then when, when I was working with Dennis, though, we would go to these, we would go to these functions in Washington, D.C., and everybody would know him. Mm. Everybody would know him. And they'd be wanting to talk to him about this, that, or the other thing. And they knew about his kids. He knew about their kids. And I was thinking, wow, this, I might be wrong. It might be about who you know, and even even the way that the company was acquired as well. It, it was a lot about who you knew, and so I was. And Dennis really was the first one to make me say, "Oh, you know what? Maybe it is who you know." So then, while all that was taking place, I was doing a CrossFit event with um, one of the one of the girls that I usually always do CrossFit events, uh, Jen Nasian, and her father 
offered to buy me a burger afterwards, and I said, oh, yeah, I'll take a burger, you know? Yeah, and I, from what I understand, he's a, he's a man of influence as well, no? Oh, my gosh. Her dad is, is a, a – it's great, the position that I'm in now, because I get to work closely with him a lot, and he is a, a really influential guy, and he's one of the nicest people I've ever met in business as well. Um, you know, if you, if you try to do a sales call with people and say, hey, I've got this great idea, they never have time for you. Glenn – always has time for you he, mm. he's such a nice guy and he's he's willing to help people out even if it really doesn't make sense to him in the moment right there he he's just a, a great mentor to me glenn glenn's awesome so anyway because of the job with dennis and now this is a little bit of a dichotomy that i want to get into later because of the job with dennis i knew the tax cuts and job act that trump um uh, initiated or passed um i knew that really well and so when i was speaking about that with jen's father glenn he said, oh, my gosh, you know public policy really well. There's this job at this Chamber of Commerce. You should get wow. this job at this Chamber of Commerce. So, so a little bit of what you know as well, exactly. right? Exactly. So then, so then that was the first time that I was thinking to myself, you know what? It's probably 50-50. I'll give, I'll give everybody that. Because had I not known about the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, had I not known about financial planning and, and the way that wealth is created, I probably wouldn't have gotten those two jobs. So I was saying, you know what? It, it's probably half and half. And and now I've come to this point in my life that I think it's it's probably 80 20 80 contact 80 20 contact, what you know. Yeah, 20 what you know. Um so then I joined this Chamber of Commerce and for people who don't know what a Chamber of Commerce is, what we do is the mission of my job is to further enhance the uh, business interests of our members. And so the way that we do that, a lot of the ways is just connecting people. And I broker connections I run 120 events a year where we're brokering connections. People email me all the time and say, hey, can you introduce me to this? Can you introduce me to that person? Can you do this? And then, so my job is revolving around these contacts and, and how well I can help people create contacts, how well I can make contacts for myself. And I really got to see up close and personal people who were amazingly smart. They know so much about whatever given expertise that they have, but they're not making any money off of it. And then there's people who aren't even qualified to do what they're doing. Um, let's take um, nutrition as an example. I know some people who are not registered dietitians. They're not, you know, they have no qualifications except for some mumbo jumbo that they kind of just got off the internet. And they are doing like six figure salaries for themselves and have multiple houses. And, and it's just like, whoa, whoa, wait, 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 wait. How'd you do that? Mm. You know, because you aren't necessarily qualified to be doing all this and then so that so through this job i've finally gotten to the point of you know what maybe it is it's it's probably 80 20 because you can't be an idiot walking up to people and just saying you know spitting whatever but you know an idiot that knows everybody in the world yeah that's a powerful idiot and can talk confidently too exactly you can say the worst mumbo and jumbo but you can say it confidently people all right well, well yeah so yeah so that that goes into charisma um a lot of people can throw around uh, charisma and influence and things like that. But, yeah. but charisma is having the ability to share a vision with a lot of people. And so what I've also found through this job is if you share a vision, it doesn't even really matter what that vision is. If you share a vision and it's half good, there's so many people out there who are not connected into a vision that if you say, hey, you know what, I think a perfect example if i think crossfit is the best way of life and you should follow me because i'm going to be talking to people about crossfit and everything look at how many followers greg glassman you know even though he's, he's been uh, taken out of position rightfully so 
um, you know, how many followers he's gotten because he stayed true to this mission and just said, you know what, this is what everybody should follow. And these particular people who ended up following didn't have a previous vision. They didn't, no. Yeah, and they know. just they just plugged into his. Yes. You know, and one of the, the people you had on before with the, the plug-in power-up, it's totally true. And it doesn't only happen with, with the power around us, but also when you plug into other people's visions, you get empowered as well. Wow. Yeah, no, yeah, that that's absolutely true. That's and deep. so... What I started to do was I said, okay, we're going to be, our chamber of commerce is going to be different because my chamber of commerce is we're taking our business plan into the 21st century. And so people would say, all right, what is, what does that mean? I said, we're upping on social media. We're getting um, interviews and videos done more than any other chamber of commerce is going to do. And I'm going to systematically make more contacts for, for the members. And so just having this vision and, and a plan People just say, yep, I'll join your chamber because, you know, every other chamber doesn't necessarily have this plan. They're using a business model that worked back in the 1920s that they're still um, using today. And since, uh, you know, that switch for me of, of just laying out a vision and then people jumping on the vision has been extremely powerful. Um, and so now I'm in this job where it's all about how many contacts I can make. It's all about how many contacts I can help somebody else make. Literally people will walk up to me and say, Hey, can you introduce me to 10 people? And I have to say no to that because if everybody did that, then I would just get completely overwhelmed with, with just that. But you know, it very quickly hit me that having contacts is makes your life so much, so much better. You know, what's interesting though about you, I know you had, uh, I've listened to a little bit of your podcast with another gentleman, but it was talking about contacts, but making them in, in genuine relationship, you know, to really be present with the person, to really, to be real, you know? Yeah. I can't even imagine you uh, uh, faking a relationship with anyone because you are so genuine as a, as a person. Yeah. So I, yeah. you know, I think that's what also makes you very successful is that when you make a connection, it's, it's very much like that person is the only one in the world when you're speaking with them. You know what I mean? I think yeah. that's what makes people very successful in that way. I think he's also like really good at that. I, you and I know him, uh, Kenny Santucci. Like mm. the guy knows a million people. Yeah. But when you're talking to Kenny, like that's it like you're the he, only one in the world you yeah, know what i mean yeah, yeah. and, and uh, he makes you feel like uh like you matter and i think yeah. i think the same thing is like how you do even when you're coaching when i watch you when you're uh when you're with your class it's like this class is the only class that matters yeah you know yeah, yeah, yeah. um and yeah i guess i sh we should even delve into a little bit about how i like to make the contacts because you know, there, there's all different kinds of levels of contacts. And in sales, we, co we go from, from warm to cold. So cold is a, a dead cold contact is somebody you've never talked to before. You're about to interrupt them. Never heard of you before. And then a hot contact is somebody who says, I know you. I like you. I want to buy from you. I've already bought with you in the past. And so there's this kind of range. And so when you walk up to people, uh, people always ask me, you know, how do you know, like, what to say to people? And I say, first off, you got to start about questions because... Uh, among other things, I'm also a Dale Carnegie coach. And one of the things that they teach in the Dale Carnegie method is that you need to be more interested in that person's life than you're interested in yourself. And, you know, that's that's tough to do. Like you have to sit down and be genuinely interested in the other person. And, you know, that's that's really tough because I think people are very are not very good storytellers of their own story. Yeah. Um, my boss's wife uh she, her father is a nuclear physicist that worked on the, the Manhattan Project. Wow. And because of the work he did, they traveled the world um, to different nuclear plants and 
Uh, they did all these amazing things. But if you ask her what her childhood was like, she said, oh, you know, we bounced around a little bit. And I ended up in Iowa. I said, oh, you just, <laughs> just you, glanced you, over you the You glanced over team. the ma- amazing, amazing things. So what I like, what I really try to do is I try to, to get out of people what uh, – what makes their life interesting? Because I really, I really believe that if you know somebody's entire story, it's impossible not to fall in love with them. And and on loves, we, we you know we mean different things. Um, but when you know somebody's whole story, even if they are, a, I'm not sure if I can say that. Even if they're a really bad person, <laughs> <laughs> even if they're a really bad person, if you know their whole story, you can sit there and you can say, I get it. Yeah. So I guess what I want everybody to do is for the rest of your life, you you you'd be able to hold on to this. Is if you imagine a brass nameplate, huge brass nameplate in your head, and then you flip it over. On top of the brass nameplate is a house. It's a three-story house, windows on the front, a big door in the front. The door opens, kids come flying through the front door with pets, with birds, with dogs. They come flying out onto the, the grass. The cat climbs up the chimney, and on top of the chimney, you'll never believe this, there's a carpenter's glove waving in the flag and uh, waving in the air like a flag. Inside the carpenter's glove is an airplane. That airplane is a big 747 jumbo jet. And you'd never think that this house is holding up this gigantic airplane, but don't worry, it is. This is our imagination. We can do whatever we want. In on, no, on the airplane, it doesn't have regular propellers. It has tennis rackets going around as the propellers and then attached to every tennis racket is light bulbs and these light bulbs are shining on and off on and off and then the pilot gets out of the aircraft and he's holding a scrapbook full of pictures and things so now do you think you'd be able to say that back to me absolutely not actually i feel no, like give i it just a try. went on a whole trip no no no. try give it a try oh uh, there was a brass nameplate that you flip it over there's a house there's a bunch of windows a bunch of kids run through the house there's some kind of glove flapping in the air from the chimney and there's a airplane 747 like a big jumbo jet but there are tennis rackets instead of propellers that have lights and the pilot has a journal of some sort yes that's crazy yep 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 yep. i feel like you just like dave and blaine me or like you know what's that other guy that magic for humans do justin willman like i don't understand how because my memory sucks no 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 because our memory, we work in visual patterns. Wow. So if I were to if I were to tell you, imagine a pink elephant right now, what are you imagining? Pink elephant. Yeah. Totally. But not P I N K E L E F A L Oh my gosh. What? I just misspelled elephant on air. It's <laughs> <laughs> so all right, you can edit it if you yeah, want to. Yeah, so. <laughs> oh man. So anyway, you're not picturing those words, you're picturing an elephant that is colored pink. Correct. So now what all those symbolize though is the brass nameplate is you ask somebody about their name. The house, where do they live? Where are they from? Do they live there their entire life? Do they have a family? What kind of family do they have? Do they have kids? Do they have animals? Do they have, you know, any any kinds of uh, other family living in the house? The carpenter's glove is what do they do for work? What's their mm. job? What do they do every day to, to that supports that house, that's over that house? The airplane is what kind of traveling have you done in the past? The uh, propellers are for uh, what kind of sports, sports, other activities that you do? Light bulbs are about the kind of ideas that you have, and then the air, the pilot holding the scrapbook. The scrapbook is for the kinds of memories that that you might have. Wow! So, 
I use, I, and I tell everybody when they ask Did me. Did you make this up? No, this is from the, the Dale, Dale Carnegie. Carnegie yeah, yeah, yeah. The, this is one of the most powerful things from the Dale Carnegie course. Actually, one of the things that made me say, I'm coaching for you. You know. <laughs> it, it, so, and when I meet a new person, I always try to make it on them. And it's, it's very easy to just get up to them. Where do you live? And it gets a little it gets a little creepy in that way. Yeah. And then it, it could also get weird if it's like, what sports do you play? Have you right. ever been out of the country? <laughs> do you have kids? Yeah, Where yeah. do you live? Right. It, that it could also sound like a deposition, too. So yeah. to stay away from that, you it takes a little bit of practice to get it free flowing and everything. But for people who are either introverted or they don't have a lot of practice connecting with new people, that is um, that is a great strategy to do so. Let me ask you a question, though. So. I think you're a lot like me in the sense that uh, I'm very much interested in other people. Uh, but I've come to points where I, I'm like, man, does anyone know this person's not asking me about me at all? Like, and so if someone, if there's no reciprocity, I'm, I don't really linger in that relationship. You know okay. what I mean? Yeah. Uh, do you ever get to that point? Like, wow, this, per this person hasn't asked me nothing. And then sometimes I'll judge the person. Like, man, this person's super vain. They're just answering my questions and like not like asking me anything and then it's not so much like hey what about me but it's just like wow this what was the all right um yeah you know i don't feel that way because i just get more and more excited to learn about them because then the next time i see them they'll probably give me a little tidbit about them and say hey you know uh i was eating turkish food and it made me think of you you know, uh, it, you know? and um so and that now that's that's a really important point for building contacts um, another thing that that has changed my life is how do you go from kind of knowing somebody to, to knowing them more and more and more, even if you can't see them every day. And so people love knowing that they were heard. That I think is, is the biggest thing. Absolutely. So yeah. if you if you tell me that you were on a Wheaties box, I mean, you know, <laughs> if you tell I'm me kind of embarrassed that I was hurt. Yeah. <laughs> so if you tell me you were on a Wheaties box and then I were to introduce you to somebody and say, Hey, sounds a really good guy. Would you believe it? His face was on the cover of a Wheaties box. Then you'd be like, Oh my gosh, Eric really remembers me. That's that, you know, and people, people love that. I love it when people yeah, do no, that for about sure. me. Um, so well, then isn't it Dale Carnegie that says the, the most, uh, uh, the most beloved word to each person is their own name, right? Yeah. Isn't when Dale you, Carnegie thing? Yeah. When you, Get a group shot taken of you. What's the first thing you look yourself, at? Yourself, every you, time. Yourself. That's yeah. from uh, How to Win Friends, Influence that, People. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was the first audiobook I ever listened to, and mm. you know, thank God for Audible. It's just an amazing, Seriously. amazing invention. So, w when you build contacts, it's all about bringing up and reaffirming that you heard them. I was in New Hampshire two weeks ago, and I took a picture just to send it to uh, a Dennis? person. Not to, to Dennis, to send it actually to this guy, Jim Potter, just to send it to Jim Potter to say, hey, I'm thinking about you. I'm in New Hampshire. We probably can't see each other. But, hey, I was in New Hampshire and I'm thinking about you. So, you know, that if, to me, that would be like, wow, he's in New Hampshire and he's thinking about me like that. Yeah. Oh, you know, have a great trip. And that's what exactly what he said. Oh, thanks for thinking of me. You know, have a great trip. And so the next time we meet, though, he can say, how was your trip in New Hampshire? You know, it just it just builds the relationship more and more. So even, and I've, I've met people who have boring stories. But oftentimes I think about that as a challenge that I haven't asked them the right questions yet because I really don't think anybody leads a, a really, really boring life. E even if you're shelled up in your house as like a cat person and you, you're a hoarder, something led you to be that. And I want to know what led you to be that kind you, of person. You know, actually, so in my work, uh, you know, you know that I'm a psych nurse practitioner, so I yeah. do therapy and prescribe medications for people with mental illness and, and uh, substance abuse disorders. But uh, 
there are typically many people who come in contact with a patient before I do. And I'll typically hear something like this. Oh, this person's the worst. They have such a bad attitude. Oh, you're going to have such a hard time with them. Like, you better medicate that person. Like, they say the worst things about yeah, this person. I used to see that in gymnastics, too. But yeah. you know what I would do? I would take that as a challenge. I'm like, let me find out why this person is so disliked. What happened in their life for them to be how they are? And let me, the, the challenge for me is let me love this person. Let me, and not love, like, right? There's different types of love. There's relational, like an intimacy, and then there's friendship, and then just people, you know? Uh, and so I do that. I'm like, how, how can I show love to this person uh, and, and get to know them as to why they are the way they are? Yeah. And uh, I'm batting 100 for 100 right now, like 100%, you know, yeah. with, with that. Because, you know, when you really try to kind of get to the depths of why a person is the way they are, then you realize, oh my gosh. It was just a luck of the draw. I could have been that person, yeah. you know, given the same circumstances, the same biology. Uh, there, you know, there's some, meme, you know, meme wisdom all over the place, right? But there's one that says, uh, you know, you know too much psychology when you can't get mad at someone for anything. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, it's kind of true. I mean, you look at people, you know, in, in the prison system. You look at their history, how they started, and where they are. You know, and but then you can also say the same thing about someone who's super successful, right? Because people kind of. Uh, discredit that person oh you know they had a rich parent and, and yeah, kind of led yeah, the way yeah. but then if you go back and you actually see how they got to where they got i mean right so i guess you would learn that within the contact within the yeah 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 and and you know you never know yeah what you're gonna find about out about a person and and you always have to approach somebody as if you you have to believe that they know something that that they can teach you mm. um because Oh. Well, no, yeah, yeah that's, no, that's, that's the yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. yeah, And I won't take credit for that. That's you know Jordan Peterson, chapter three or something. <laughs> I don't know. So, um, yeah. So, that's why where I really found out that life is a contact sport was when this pandemic hit. So, when when this pandemic hit, the hospitals called my job and they said we have no personal protective equipment. We've run out we're, or we're going to run out soon. We need to find donations. And so then this whole time, actually, I had an intern and we were working on creating this 40,000 list, 40,000 email list database. And we had just finished it. And then they said, how can we get into contact with the most people possible? And I said, oh, I just <laughs> finished God. this list. So now with that, I send it out. I write a program in Excel and Technically, it sends out the messages automatically, but they're sent out one by one. So I can't just walk away from it. I have to sit there and watch it do the whole thing because if it hits a snag on one email, then it won't finish the rest of the emails. So the day that that happened, I think it was one of those moments where my boss walked into my office and he goes, hate to do this to you. <laughs> it's three o'clock on a Friday, but we got to get this out, you know, and it's like, oh, you know, for the pandemic, that's that's exactly what I was going to do. So yeah. I sat there. It took seven hours for this thing to run. I was there till till 10 o'clock at night. Um, and I was just sitting there just watching it run, making sure that all the emails went through. And even while the emails were being sent, I had people coming back to me and saying, hey, I have donations. Yeah, you could pick it up. So from you had here. to even respond to them. Yeah, as they were, yeah, wow. yeah. Well, actually, OK, I waited because the whole program was running. It actually crashed my email. I couldn't respond to anything until Sunday because oh it was all just like it was so crashed. So then that's when I realized that the ability for a person to get into contact with as many people as possible and to to have a powerful enough network to help you out that is power when you when you have when you have the the kind of network and you leverage the network to everyone's benefit do not create a network and then rip everybody off and and run away with your avon commission check right right nothing against avon I mean. <laughs> <laughs> it's just the first thing that popped in my head so um like because in the long run so and 
I'll, let me finish that point first. So then we were getting all of these these emails of saying, yes, I can help out. Yes, I can help out. And these hospitals, they they have all these sophisticated supply chains for these materials, but I was finding it out of the woodwork. And so we tried to count the number up, but it was something like we influenced a donation of 100,000 units of personal protective equipment. Wow. Whether it was people bringing it to the hospital, sending it to the hospitals, or me going to the port and picking them up off of a ship and then taking them to the hospital. This whole time, I... I uh, I've never told anyone this, but this whole time I was in like this Alexander Hamilton kick and I was listening to the musical. <laughs> so every time I would get into my ca car, like the Garden State Parkway is completely empty because it was coronavirus and I'm just playing nonstop because I'm just like, oh, I'm never going to stop. Like, let's just keep it. It was, it was a funny time. No, actually, you know what? I, I felt the same way about that album, too, because Alexander Hamilton, I mean, at least the way they portrayed it in, in, the, in the musical was just that there was so much he had to do. Yes. And, and nothing could stop him. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Even if it's, it's funny because Arlene will say, my wife will say something like, when is it? Uh, can it just be enough? Can you just can can we just be enough? Yeah, and then I'm he's like, there's so much I gotta and do. And he literally says that to uh, his wife when he no, well actually Angelica, the woman he doesn't marry, but then she's in love with him. Watch the musical, it's <laughs> Disney plot. <laughs> <Right>. uh, <laughs> so, so many advertisements. I right know, here. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but right, that's so, the, she sings this song. Yeah, he him. even he even says, um, she asks, "Where's your family from?" And he's like, "It's not important. There's a million things I haven't done." Right. And that's, that's just the thing that yeah. he's always done. Yeah. And so even then, when he marries his wife, she's saying. You know you're fine. Like you could just you could just stop right now, yeah. and it, it'll all be fine. And even later, she's trying to get him to take off a to summer. go to go to the yeah. to the lake house. Right? And then she's like, "Well, John Adams takes a summer off." And then he's like, "John, John Adams doesn't, doesn't have, have a real job. job." Yeah, yeah. I don't even know about John Adams like that, but I'm like, "Wow, that what a dig." Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> and well, and you know, and another thing I have to remind people is that that story is very um, uh, creatively. There's a lot of creative license used in that because. You know, it makes Thomas Jefferson look like this big villain and everything. And it's like, all right, he wasn't that, you know, he wasn't really like that bad. But I, so whenever people watch the musical, I do remind them that there's, there's more depth to the characters yeah. than Thomas Jefferson is bad. Aaron Burr never speaks his mind. And Alexander Hamilton is awesome. You, you know, you, so. you know what's funny? I actually had Googled, is George Washington, I forget what I was Googling exactly, but uh, uh, <laughs> so, the Google completed the sentence it was like was george washington really african-american or, oh, or whatever yeah, because, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of, because, because of uh, hamilton yeah. like <laughs> and so and they did that in hamilton because yeah. um oh my gosh who wrote hamilton uh, uh miranda uh, yeah uh, lin-manuel Lin miranda Lin yeah he told the story as if america if america were to be created today these are the people who would do it it makes sense and before it. i knew that i was like why did they why did they do that and then once he said that i was like i can get on board with that, that you know what super confused me though that that some characters played another character later yes i yeah, was yeah, like yeah. wait a minute that guy looks like the other guy yeah and that no, no, girl no. looks like i'm so con i had to google yeah, it. yeah 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 no they yeah. did yeah, yeah yeah so and actually it's funny that we're talking about the revolution because this is a story i wanted to say back into life as a contact sport is that um a lot of people don't know this but the night of Paul Revere's ride, you know, we know the story of the they signaled that the British were coming and Paul Revere went on this brave ride to to tell the towns about it. There was another person who did it. And of course, even right now, I forget his name because we never remember second place. <laughs> there was another guy. There was another guy who yeah. was faster. He started earlier and he was he was spreading the same message that Paul Revere was. The British are coming. Simple message. Right. Who wouldn't get that? Why wouldn't you just if you hear the British are coming, why wouldn't you just call the arms? So that man was unsuccessful. He, did, he could not rally everybody together. Mm. Paul Revere was. When we look back at these statewide associations, and there are all these clubs and like the 
the Sons of Liberty and, you know, these these kind of associations like the, the Revolutionary Period Chambers of Commerce in each town. Paul Revere is the only man who is a part of every single one of them in the town, in the city, in the state of Massachusetts. So because he was a man of influence. So now this goes into the life as a contact sport. The yeah. other guy had to go to a town, knock on three doors because that's all he had time for. Tell somebody that the British were coming. And then that was it. Paul Revere, though, he could go to the mayor's house. He could go to the chief militia's house and then he could go to the cook's house. Right. Tell everybody that the, the British are coming. He could leave and, and they then disperse let, it. Yeah, and then let those people take care of it. Yeah. So even even back then, we're talking about how powerful contacts are. Because even back then, this guy was was unsuccessful, even though he was faster than Paul Revere. Paul Revere knew the right people to talk to. He got in there, did it, and then left. And once I read that story, that was that was actually probably the moment that I said, No, it's 80-20. Like you gotta know people. Yeah. And and so that is is just another um, remembrance for me that it's it's all about making contacts and now I I also with that you don't with these 40,000 emails right that was an emergency an emergency that the whole nation could get behind and say yeah if I've got masks I've got I've got to do that but and so I could do that because there was always there was a preconceived notion and people mostly trusted me um, I had to show identification to some people one time I got the police called on me about it but um, so people mostly trusted me. So when you're going around in your life, though, it, it can't be like that. You can't be trying to make as many contacts as possible just for the sake of making contacts. Right. Because people will see through you. Yeah. People do do that. Right. It's more yeah. like a vanity or yeah, sort yeah. of thing. Yeah. And like sometimes people go to networking events and then they'll pass out cards to everybody in the event, but not talk to anybody. Yeah. And it's just like, you know, if you I, I tell them, you got to remember on average every person knows about a thousand people so let's just let's just say every person knows a thousand people if you can really get to know that person's life and learn about the thousand people that are in their life there's going to be one something in there that you're going to probably change your life about because you've learned something from that person but then two you know you know a thousand people i know a thousand people a thousand times a thousand is a million so between our networks if we do enough searching, we could create a million contacts together. And that's extremely powerful. So if you're going to go around and you're just going to make these lukewarm introductions to everybody and just try to get your name out there, in my opinion, you would have to physically speak to a thousand people to really make that work. Mm -hmm. So there's 20 people in here. What would you rather do? Build a deep relationship with one of the 20 people in here or just pass out your card to 20 people and they're never going to talk to you again? Right. Deep relationship. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know? And so these these are kind of the things that I talk to about with either the chamber members or or anybody else that that'll kind of listen, is that, you know, people immediately are saying, well, there's nobody here for me. Nobody here is here to help me out. And it's like you're right. That's absolutely right. Nobody is here to help you out. Mm -hmm. The and now we'll get into this other idea that I love talking to to chamber members about is when you go to these meetings, you need to be competitively altruistic. Mm -hmm. And so what I mean by that is, so altruism is you do things, pure altruism is you do things just because they're good. There's no incentive for you. There's nothing that you're going to get back. But when I say competitively altruistic, you need to go to these meetings. You need to open up your, your life to people, everybody that you meet. And you need to say, you know, this person's got a problem. How can I help them fix it? So even if they are selling computer products, I'm not buying computer products. But you know what? If I sit here and I'm being competitively altruistic, I can think about my friend who is a cyclist 
who loves making videos and his processor is too slow. He should probably talk to this guy. So we're, we got to be in this mode of you genuinely are interested in other people and you should be genuinely interested in other people because you have no clue what they're going to be able to teach you. You should be competitively altruistic to people because if you're always in every relationship in your life as me, 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 I want to get whatever I can out of this. Can you help me? No, get out of my face. You know, what are you, you're not going to build out your network. I've had people that I've helped them because I was being competitively altruistic. And then two years later, they said, hey, you know what? I'm, I'm good to join your chamber now. We've got mm. the money. You know, we haven't talked in two years, but I remember that one time that you helped me out. And so those core principles of being genuinely interested in other people and being competitively altruistic has has just changed my life in, in enormous ways from skydiving with the U.S. Army to um, being invited to large events of 400 people and being able to be a speaker at those events and things like that. So I know I keep saying life is a contact sport, but even right now, as I keep thinking about that and synthesizing that in my head, it just becomes more and more true that people around you make things happen. You can make things happen for yourself, but when you've got a good team, you can Mm. go so far. Well, all right. So if life is a contact sport, I mean, why play sports? Generally speaking, to win, right? You want to win. Uh, who is it? Uh, who's a soccer player? Um, I'm forgetting his name right now, but I was listening to something he said earlier. He said, uh, uh, first, second place is the first amongst the last ones, you know? Yes. Yeah, like, yeah, 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 exactly. I mean, they always, uh, second, uh, second place is the first loser, but yeah, that's a it's Navy the first thing. place amongst the last ones. I'm like, oh, yeah. So why compete in sport? You know, you do the best you can for sure. But what I'm trying to get at is what, what is your why? Like, wh- what are you trying to win? Like, what, what are you, what's your main goal? What drives you? I think that's something I've wanted to kind of dive into even in considering meeting with you and talking with you like what makes this guy tick why does he do what he does why would he go from boston to jersey because i felt like it you know but there's like there's an internal drive and i want to know what that is because more than anything else uh you know i want to generate something that that other people can really pull from i think the context thing is is amazing in that uh you you can see the fruit of that right Yeah. yeah 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 you've helped how many thousands of people, you know, through your journey, you know, but why? If people don't have a why to why they do things, they don't do them, you know? So what is it that's making you do these things? Freedom. Mm. Freedom. And so I, I want to jump back a little bit. So in The Wealth of Nations by Adam Smith, he had this at the time was groundbreaking revelation that if people act in their own self-interest, That is better for the nation as a whole than if one person were to sit there and kind of just build this this country up. And so that that's really interesting. So if everybody were to act selfishly, the world would be a better place. Well, what kind of selfish, though? Because I mean, if you listen to the last podcast with John Trokey, he mentioned enlightened self-interest. I did like that. That right. hit me. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, no, I thought I like self-interest that. was always so, bad. So in, yes, yeah. you're right. So in, in The Wealth of the Nations, it's just self-interest, but you're right. I, I do remember him saying that, and enlightened self-interest is, is really good. So if everybody were to act selfishly, the world would become a better place as long as you're free of rent-seeking behavior is kind of what Adam Smith says. So rent-seeking behavior is kind of it, – it gets into that enlightened self-interest because rent-seeking – is is not just like building a house and then seeking rent it's um when you are in rent seeking activities you are trying to pull value out of something and just keep it for yourself and so that's different than building wealth for a community because if you were to 
snell if you were to sell snake oil to an entire community take two thousand dollars away from the town and then just disappear then you're rent seeking you just you just did what you could took it away and then in the long run you'll never be able to come back to that town so that's mm-hmm. another reason to always stay nice to people because you never know if you're ever going to have to come back. But so then we want to act in an enlightened self-interest because if it's my self-interest to make money, I live in a society where merit gets rewarded and, and I should be selling things that people want. The value of things is determined by how bad other people want them. Mm-hmm. So I could sit here and say, you know what? My town has no bakeries. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bake some bread. So now all the people who want to buy bread consensually, right? Because we're not forcing anybody to buy our bread. We're saying, hey, you know, like, do you guys want to buy this bread? I've, I've made it myself. I think the quality is pretty good. If you think the quality is pretty good, you should pay me for it. And so now I've acted in my own self-interest. I want money. The way I did that was I baked bread. All these people wanted bread as well. But it's not in my self-interest to just give the bread away. So that's kind of this this low idea of... of how self-interest makes the society better because if we are providing a service we're providing a product and we're doing things for people that they will consensually say yes i want that and i'll pay you for it now we're all acting in our in in our self-interest they want bread i want money boom we're done so now i'll go back into the freedom part is because uh, like one of the greatest poets of our time drake (laughs) (laughs) he said Money makes a difference, but it doesn't make you different. Mm. And so I think that's that's so true. It's something that we need to to remember all the time. But you know what money does do? It does get you freedom. And what does it get you freedom from? It gets you freedom from the mortgage at your bank. It gets you freedom from working 70 hours a week to pay your bills. If you had enough money, you could you could have this freedom to live where you want to live. You can have the freedom to do what you want to do. You can have the freedom to um, do for others what you want to do. You could set up nonprofits and even fund it yourself with with your own money. Um, and so that is something that I am, am very motivated by is I am motivated to make money because to me, money equals freedom for myself, for the people around me, and, and for the greater society. And so now this is another kind of dichotomy because now Milton Friedman, my favorite economist, he famously said that the only purpose of a corporation is for profit. And lately, recently, that's been that's been denounced by the um, the this association of all these um, businesses, including J.P. Morgan Chase and uh, Goldman Sachs and some other Fortune 500 companies. Um, they've said that the, the purpose of a corporation is not to make money. It's to, to do other things, to which I say is absolutely false. And so the purpose of a corporation, is, in my opinion, in some ways, is the same purpose as a person. You need, you're need you here to make money or to make some other kind of currency that or, you know, value that, that you want to instill. Because if you can't make money as a corporation, if you can't make money as a person, you have no ability to do anything charitable. Mm-hmm. You, if, if Tom's, so Tom's business model, the shoe, is if you buy a shoe, they'll send a shoe to Africa. They can't send a shoe to Africa unless they've unless made they a make profit. Money. Yeah. yeah, so me as a person, I am out here to make money so that I can do the things for other people that, that I can help them out with, the, the charities that really mean a lot to me, like yeah. the Make-A-Wish Foundation. 
there's also this idea that I've recently had with with um, my coach that uh, maybe we'll get into it in a little bit about how we want to bring fitness to to underprivileged communities. Fitness is an extremely extremely expensive commodity, despite the fact that the people who are in underprivileged communities need it more than anybody else. So now, how does this lead to contacts? The more there's another saying. I feel like this whole podcast is going to be filled just with like just like <laughs> cliches. But um, I you know what? No, I don't. I don't like that. Like yeah, this whole yeah, like, yeah. oh, that's a cliche. No, it's actually it's, it works. It's wisdom. Yeah. There are many things that get like put into this basket of cliche. Yeah, I, I, yeah. But no, I think so everything you're saying is valid. Go ahead. Continue. Your network is your net worth. Mm-hmm. So now let's let's remember why Milton Friedman said that a, co- a corporation should only be profit seeking. So and now a lot of people denounce that because they say, okay, if a corporation is only profit seeking, then they're going to hire people, force them to work in sweatshops and um, rip everybody off and and, you know, be a bad actor in, in the overall economy to which I say, prove it. Because that doesn't happen. You know, these these companies, what if you're Amazon now, Amazon's got its own problems. But, you know, if you're if you're Amazon. And you were paying people if you thought you could run all of your warehouses off of paying people two dollars an hour, making them work 16 hour days and. Um, I don't know. Oh, and making them work in the dark the entire time. You know, you'd save a lot of money. You, you wouldn't have to pay the wage. You'd get a lot of labor out of them and you would save money on the electricity. You would be profit seeking. Right. But how sustainable is that? You're going to be able to have a warehouse open for three days not even you know that's that's not sustainable so when we talk about profit seeking it can't be profit seeking in the here and now it it, it's got to be a long-run vision of profit because you can if you if you were amazon you try to run a warehouse like that you run it for one day you made 200 million dollars yeah but you made 200 million dollars for one day Mm -hmm. when there's billions of dollars that you can make if you could sustainably make it the entire time so that's why amazon actually um despite all the things that go on in their warehouses that they probably they probably work their their employees too hard um and they they run them really hard because it's all data driven and like they don't allow them to take bathroom breaks and things like this there's bad things coming out about their um their labor but in new jersey they basically ended the minimum wage debate because they were paying everybody 15 dollars an hour and that was the minimum wage staple so now they're sucking up all the available labor basically every other company in new jersey if they want to hire enough people they They have to they have to pay 15 dollars an hour or two and wow. so this is why, like, when the government sets a minimum wage law, it's like, I mean, okay, you can do that. But Amazon did it artificial, uh, not artificially. Amazon did it naturally, uh, organically. Organically. So you know what's crazy? I'm 38. When mm-hmm. I started working, minimum wage was 5.25. Yeah. Does that mean I'm old? Like, you know, like. <laughs> but you know, going back to the whole thing with, uh, you know, money and making money. You know, there's, you know, there there happens to be in some circles like negative connotation about money. It's greedy yeah, and all this yeah, kind of yeah. stuff. You know, um, it's interesting because you don't think about these like big names, you know, having uh, like someone like Tony Robbins having like uh, uh, someone that's been uh, a teacher to him, but he followed uh, Jim Rohn. Okay. Jim Rohn had said, uh, make a million dollars, do everything you can to make a million dollars. Not because you need the money when you make the million dollars, give it away. But if you made a million dollars, you would have become a different person. Yeah. You know, and and so that really shifted my whole idea with money and, and what it is. So more it's like value. You know, it's it's more about value, like what you're giving. And the money is like a side effect of your value. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Versus like the thing that I'm chasing. So 
and we live in a lot of people call it like a, a capitalist society but i also remind them it's a consensual society everything like bill gates did not get rich by pointing a gun at people and saying buy windows right he got rich because he provided enough value and people said yeah i'll buy that so now let's let's relate it to context though the reason why you want to have as many contacts as possible is because that's going to influence your life to be able to make more positive changes in in the world 100%. So that's why I say life is a contact sport. That is why I am intrinsically motivated to make money. I want to make as much difference in the world as I possibly can with the things what what I strive to do is to relieve the suffering of others for the sake of just relieving their suffering. That's it. That's huge. Yeah. And so to relieve you, unnecessary suffering. And you cannot yeah. do that. You you could you could do that without money. You could do that with contacts. You could do that without contacts and you could do that with money. But when you have money and contacts, it goes so much further. Yeah. So this is why I want to preach to everybody that life is a contact sport because you don't need money to make a difference in people's lives. But contacts, you definitely need. When I had this idea of, of fitness for underprivileged people, I know the right people to make that happen. It took me three phone calls and I've already got a tentative date for a center for battered women. Mm -hmm. That was That's contacts. Huge. I spent huge. no money. Yeah. I, I, it, was, it was contacts. So now money is important for your, your individual freedom because then if I was working 80 hours a week, I would not you be able yeah. to, to afford to, to do that. But so money is important for the individual freedom to make this all happen. And I know sometimes it was we were bordering on the on the line of being vain and saying, oh, I only do this for money or I only do this for my net worth and things like that. But no, 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 no. We're saying that you want to make money. You want to build up your contacts, your network to reduce the suffering of others. And that's that's really what I'm out here to do. And whether that be meeting a business and literally helping them find their first customer or helping them go from I, I helped this app go from 200 users to 10,000 what you know that's my way of, of giving back and, and like building the values helping other people create these these other contacts but when I have individual things that I want to do like this fitness for underprivileged people or um, the masks I know the right contacts to make I know how to make the contacts and I can reduce the suffering that's around me and so it's so funny that we went from uh, life is a contact sport to Eric's message for the meaning of life is that, you know well that, but, that's the whole idea of yeah, this whole yeah, thing yeah, exactly. the whole idea if you look at like the mission statement that's the whole idea it's like I want to like uh, really kind of pull out like what's the what makes this person function you know what is the one piece of wisdom that they needed to leave behind if they yeah. if they were to go if today. I were to go yeah yeah and that's you know? that's and, my thing is that you know it's what's funny is like I was kind of thinking about like my own like life's mission statement as well in, in terms of what I do not just for work but just like in life and and that came to me so it's so funny that you said that this whole idea of like to relieve suffering because i'm like for the sake of re relieving other yeah people's because suffering. i mean there's so much suffering out there that's unnecessary that could be uh you know life is going to be you know there's going to be some suffering in life but like why have unnecessary suffering if you yeah. can do something exactly why not do the thing yeah you know um so no, I, I really appreciate that you were able to kind of come to that and share with that's very uh, that's very personal yeah for you, right? yeah that's that's you know I I 100% believe in that and if it's if right now my calling is to reduce other people's suffering of they have a great idea and they just don't know how to talk to the right amount of people of doing it for now I'm I'm good with that I'll I'll do that it might in a year it might be different in 10 years it might be different but I, what I'd say to everybody listening to this is look around you what suffering do you find to be most disgusting and let's do something about it mm. whether you're on my train or you're somebody on somebody else's train or you're on your own train 
you can do it. And I'm just saying, here's some tips of how to make more contacts and things like that. And so going a little bit further, this is kind of an antithesis to, to what uh, an earlier podcast was about the antisocial social media. I a hundred percent agree with, with Dan that social media can be this pitfall for people that it could be this place that they get just stuck and they spend six hours a day on Instagram and they get depressed and there's all these other things. So if you can stave that off and you can remember that social media is like everybody is driving on this highway and you have the ability to put up a billboard every day, sometimes multiple times a day, although you'll bother people and they'll unfollow, <laughs> unfollow you. Yeah. yeah, sometimes multiple times a day, you have this billboard that people can drive by with their finger and they can see it and you can share your message with them. And they, they might even jump on board and say, hey, you know what? I like that. And now it's not just it's more powerful than a billboard because they can even say that they like it. They can engage with you. They can do all these things. So if we leverage social media in the right way and we leverage it in in the social part of that media where we use it to make more contacts and spread our message with more people in a, in a positive way. I think that is the only reason that somebody shouldn't give up social media is if you've got a message to spread and you've got, um, you know, and you have the you want to call more people to it social media is a great place for that 100 percent. i think uh you know the difference between some accounts versus others is others have a real true message uh, and they're very very passionate about it for others it's more like a vanity seeking project you know to be well how many likes is that you know this and the other thing uh and, and, i mean some of those things really do generate income but they're more self-serving than anything else versus like uh you know developing some kind of change in any way um but I think social media absolutely. Uh, I mentioned this on this podcast is releasing on on Tuesday with Mute. Oh great, yeah. But I'm gonna I say this. Oh, it's, it's good. It, it got really intense. But uh, there was something I said there where I said you know social media is is like a knife. You could use a knife to cook or you could use a knife to kill. You know, so like really social media for some people can end up being this wow. thing that like takes over their life. Now I don't have many followers on social media. Let's you know, but I'm gonna say this. I don't understand how people with like thousands and thousands and thousands of followers engage without like hiring people to do this for them. I'm, I'm sure many do, but I, I did a competition out in Texas, right? Uh, in back in February. And just from like my friends and family that were messaging me through Instagram, cause that's where I was like posting stories. I'm like, this is overwhelming. Like I'm not famous, but I feel famous right now. And I don't like this. This yeah, is yeah, too yeah, much. Yeah, it's too much. So, I mean, someone like you have way more contacts than I do. Like, how do you, so it's, it's good to acquire these contacts and everything, but like when you have people, especially today, who have such easy uh, avenues to get to you, LinkedIn, right? Because your, li your Instagram Oh, yeah. Cute. I like to tell people my Instagram is cute, but my LinkedIn is fire. Yeah, because on Instagram, fire. I think I have like 700 followers That's on huge. Instagram. Yeah, it's huge. Well, yeah, because you think about it, like if you were to think about that as like an emailing list, yeah. like that's a pretty good email. Dude, that's list. like, uh, yeah, that's like Bitcoin to dollars, right? In terms yeah, of- Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, So on Instagram, it's like 700, but then on LinkedIn, it's over 10,000. And yeah, so- That's huge. Yeah, so then- and but that, uh, there was other reasons I went all in on LinkedIn, but that's also because it's an avenue to connect with other professionals and and, and things like that. Um, but yeah, but you have all these people have so much access to you. Like, do you feel overwhelmed at any point? Uh, so I'm also in this position that uh, every financial advisor in the world basically wants to uh, to talk to me. Um, and there's a select few that I'll talk to, but then I kind of shut out the other ones unless they've they've made a really good effort. Um, but I would say for the most part, people are not contacting me. I sometimes joke with people and I say, I don't even know why I have a business card because nobody calls me first. <laughs> and, but that's the other thing, too. Oh, that's another good point yeah. is if we're, we're, you know, talking about life as a contact sport and we need to be 
um, always genuinely interested in other people um, and then competitively altruistic. Another point to make is that you you sometimes need to be the first mover. Mm-hmm. So if you if you're thinking, oh, you know, I'd like to get into contact with them, but I don't really know, like you should probably just get into contact with them. If yeah. you're not asking them if they're looking for, you know, financial opportunities part time selling weird stuff you know then they probably want to see that message and they want to hear from you they want to get that message from you just saying like hey man i was thinking about you i hope you're having a great day like if anytime you send me those messages or like matt gardner sends me those messages I'm matt's just, been mentioned like four times already oh, really? on this podcast <laughs> i don't even think he knows i think we should we should have matt come <laughs> on it's funny so you know Sending those things, you I, I think you should be the first mover. Don't yeah. don't sit around and wait for other people to do things. You do it yourself, and yeah. that comes back into that that kind of charisma idea as well. That like just put that message out to the world. Like my my meaning of life is to reduce the suffering, the unnecessary suffering of other people for the sake of reducing their suffering. There's no right. other reason. Not to, for personal gain. Yeah, for for the sake of reducing it. But enlightened self interest though, because there is some like. Anything you do for someone else is inherently selfish because it makes you feel good. If it, if if reducing someone's suffering made you feel terrible, would you still do it? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, right? You know, like there's yeah. something good, but I think that's not a bad thing. I think it's something it's not, about yeah. like it's what we were made to do. That's yeah. why it feels. That's good. why it feels good. Exactly. And it's sustainable. It's not like a drug, right? You yeah. do a drug and it feels good, but then you feel terrible afterwards. I'm, I'm assuming. Yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> and then there's you know. gonna there's gonna be haters too. Like yeah. when I when I pass out, I'm gonna try to be donating tuna sandwiches to homeless people and when i do that i'm gonna film it yeah. and i'm gonna post it on social media and the reason i'm gonna do it is so that other people can say hey next time you go out i got ten dollars i'll buy the mayonnaise yeah. you know i'm not doing it to be like hey guys look how great i am and, yeah. you know blah, blah 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 and there's gonna be haters who are gonna say oh he's only doing this to get more followers of course of but course. you know what and even if they say that at least they watched me you know, and did they like, feed anybody though? Yeah, exactly. Did so they the do only, anything? So the only reason I'd be sharing all of that is to just gain more support. And you guys who are listening to this, you're going to see it soon. There's there's a lot of things um, that I that I have planned, both nonprofit side and profit, and and so when there's there's haters who are who are saying like, oh, why are you on social media doing this and blah blah blah. It's like, hey, there's other people connecting. You should just unfollow. This is a free account. Yeah, you know, like you don't. I'm have not forcing you. To, I'm not forcing you to watch what I do. Yeah. You know, I, I there was well two things to mention. Like you know, in terms of contacts, being the first person to reach out. You know, um, just like on an interpersonal way, not not business side or you know even yeah. profit nonprofit, but even like even in personal relationships in terms of contact. You know, it's weird kind of being a dude too, because like what's like all right, uh, you know, us guys, we're typically, like, solo. We don't need anybody. You know, it's kind of like the male macho thing. Like, I'm not yeah. going to say hi because I'm a man. Uh, it'll be tough, you know. But, like, you know, if you are the first person to reach out, like, how, how many times do you reach out before the you're like, you know what, uh, this person is not really um, – kind of reaching out as much as I would. And, oh, yeah, that's a great point. You know, it's, point. it's, yeah, it's yeah, kind yeah. of a weird space to be. Because you want to you know? be competitively altruistic, but then at the same time, like – if, if you're given all this altruism and people aren't giving it back to you, yeah, you should, you should back off. And so every case is obviously different. Um, but I, I am all for, you know, com- being competitively altruistic, but when somebody has given you some kind of signal that they're not worthy of it or, or some other thing, then yeah. Or I'm, they're not I'm even appreciative of that. Yeah. I'm all for cutting yeah. them off. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, the, the whole idea of, of contacts is, is super important because I think, we, we need relationship. We need people. So even if it's not this like, you know, boom of like, I know a thousand or 10,000 or 20,000 people and you can make contacts to do, you know, what, you know, to, to, to relieve un- unnecessary suffering. But even like in your personal life, 
you know, to really maximize those contacts you have, even if it's like five to 10, like really good friends. Cause I feel like, you know, if we're not connected to people, if we're not, um, you know, in close personal relationships, we can very much feel alone, especially during this whole crisis, you know, oh, yeah. many people, I mean, people I've seen posts like, Hey, uh, anyone want to go on a bike ride with me? Social distance, six feet. I just need to see people. Yeah. You know, and it, and, uh, and for those people who it's funny, cause even you consider contacts value in the sense of just, uh, interpersonal relationships, like many people who were just like, screw people. I don't need people. You know, there are people that hate people and just don't want to be around people, which is, you know, kind of yeah, and odd, then, but like, you know, when the crisis came, like then people felt really alone, you know, and then they wanted to be with people and now they see the value of, of, of being, people. yeah. And, and people are finding all new ways to connect. Like before this crisis, I barely played Xbox. Uh, and now like <laughs> I accidentally become, it became in the top 0.1% of call of duty <laughs> players. And when I got that, I was like, Oh, we need to get off. <laughs> but in the beginning of the pandemic, I was using it and connecting with people and playing, you know, with all these people. I play with people from Australia. And it was like, it was just like, wow, what the heck? And, you know, it's funny, too, because I play with these people who live in Australia. One of my friends on Instagram posted, hey, I'm thinking of moving to Australia. Does anyone know anybody I can talk to? I message them, get them connected. He made the move to Australia right no before coronavirus. No way. That. That's insane. So now just another thing of like leave your life open to these like these contacts because I like to think of every contact because there's this idea of social capital. And so like what is every relationship worth to you? And so I think you can look back and you should look back and say, oh, my gosh, that relationship to me is worth ten thousand dollars. Like if they ever need anything, I'm going to I'm going to help them out again because it we really do a lot of things together. But I like to if if you were to write like a dollar sign under everybody that I know, they're like social capital. I always think of it as like infinity because mm. it's not done yet. You should wow. you should keep a ledger underneath it and say like, oh, in the past, it's been like 800. It's been like seven or, you know, whatever it's been. But keep it open because you never know that. Like, what if they connect you with a person that you're now going to like start a business with and yeah. everything? Like, what if what if they ripped you off, but they still connected you with a person that you know, their relationship to you was still worth it. You know, you still made some kind of connection or you, you made money with them or, or whatever it is. Um, so under, and that's another thing to keep in mind going in, in with the, you have to assume everybody knows something that you don't that underneath everybody's value to you, you know, what's in it for me, their ROI, whatever you want to say, keep that open. Cause you never know how somebody could help you in the future, how you can help them in the future. It just, just keep it open-ended. Um, it, you know that's just another <laughs> message for it honestly i typically have like a final points at the end but i think i want to end on that you know just to keep yeah. it open is you know there's so many times where you know me personally i, I know the person i am i'll just like oh, i'll cut the, i'll cut that person off they're yeah. done they're dead to me and that's what we'll talk about on tuesday with mute but like th there have been times where i've said you know forget this person you yeah know? and what's interesting is i might have cut that person off but that person didn't cut me off yeah and somehow that person's relationship uh that we've had in the past somehow benefits me later when I'm like, Oh, well, I didn't even want to talk to this person anymore. Yeah. So I love that to be open to the possibility because we're humans, we're dynamic. We change, we're constantly changing. We're like this moving target. We're never going to be exactly the same as we were the day before. Right. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I appreciate you, man. Like the, the, all the growth that I've seen in you, you know, yeah. I, 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 cause I we met and I was 19 yeah, when we met. Man, you know? I, you know, when I tell my, when I tell people I'm 38, like, Oh, I, you know, this guy, Eric, he's, I'm going to hang out my friend Eric and like, oh, how'd you meet him? Oh, he's in the, uh, we went to the gym together and, you know, most of the kids are around like 25 to 30, but this guy's like 22, 23. You hang out with a 23-year-old? I'm like, dude, this guy is like a, a an old man yeah, yeah. <laughs> in, a, well, in a young person's body, you know? And, like, and people would be like, 
why are you hanging out with everyone and everyone's over 27? Yeah. Like, because that's who I want to And it, it's, it's your maturity level, you know? And to, oh, to you. see your yeah. pro- your progress from, from, from the first day we met to now is, is just stellar. And I think you're going to do amazing, amazing things. Like, that is where the infinity is to me, you know? <laughs> thank you. Um, so um, thank you for your time. I, I know you have other people to serve and, yeah, and yeah, things yeah. to do. I'm off to serve people right now. Yeah, yeah, I know. Like I was like, oh, could we uh could we push back an hour and have like, oh well I have to set up stuff for this other meeting tomorrow. I'm like, man, this guy's a beast, you know? <laughs> I think I'm busy. This guy's a beast. So Eric, dude, thank you so much for your time. Thank and, you for having me on. And uh, I know this can be helpful for a lot of people. I hope so. Up until this point in our lives we've done the best we could with what we've known. Hopefully today we've come to learn something new so we can be better to give better. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Upstream. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at the dot upstream podcast and join us every other Tuesday for fresh content. Until then, just keep swimming, friends.